1: Daniel Stafford was an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Aside from pastoring for 10 years in his early ministry, he traveled the United States and beyond for over 40 years in full-time evangelism. He had a special emphasis on the doctrine of holiness. He authored 15 books. He passed away in 2008, but today through the Ministry of Convention pulpit, his message is being heard around the world. I know you will enjoy this message that he preached at the Church of God Holiness in Olathe, Kansas, in 1984. It's titled, The Truly Blessed. I want to read to you tonight from the first division of the psalm, the first three verses. Very familiar verses, you could quote them, but let's notice them again tonight. We come again to dear Lord asking that you will continue to lead in this service. Let thy word speak to every mind and every heart. Let it say clearly what we need to hear it say. And then when thou hast spoken, may we all be quick to obey. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our text this evening is found in a portion of verse 1 that I read in your hearing. uh, Just four words there. Blessed is the man. And as God would help me tonight, I'd like to speak to you from this thought the truly blessed. The truly blessed. In this day of superabundance, there are so few uh, truly blessed uh, people. Most people are near neurotics, they are uh, rushing at such a fast pace uh, until they're nervous and eaten with ulcers. uh, And most people uh, don't have time to enjoy what God is so bountifully bestowed uh, upon them. Now the psalmist here, he paints us a detailed picture uh, of uh, the uh, truly uh, blessed uh, individual. And each of us uh, should ask our own heart this question. uh, Is this a picture of me? They say that this expression here, the man, it means that one among a thousand uh, who lives for the accomplishment uh, of the end for which God created him. Now the very suggestion of that indicates that 999 out of every thousand never reached that point that God desired for them to reach. And so uh, tonight I want you to notice with me three things uh, about uh, this individual, the man. He's a person that has so synchronized his steps with the will of God until the two can flow in fluid motion And there is no friction whatsoever. So let's notice three things that come out very clearly from these three verses that we read tonight. The first thing I want you to notice, let's notice the negatives of the truly blessed. Now I know that that word negative is a dirty word today. We've had the Zig Ziglers, and we've had Dr. Norman Vincent Peale and we've had the, uh, you know, how to influence people and it's positive, positive, positive. And I know that uh, there are some virtues in the positive approach uh, but I think that's what has wrecked uh, professed Christianity tonight. This idea of getting people to make a decision for Christ is as unscriptural as it can be. Jesus never told his disciples to go out and get people to make a decision for him. He said, go out and preach repentance and remission of sins. Now, repentance is a turning of the mind. Every man is born wrong. Every man is heading wrong. Every man is doing wrong until he is transformed by grace divine, and that's the reason why we've got such a muddled condition. We've preached positive to the sinner, uh, and we've only cemented him in his era. He's not been uh, become a new creature; he just become deceived uh, into thinking that he is a born-again child of God. When there's very few people that actually are. But anyway, yeah. I know that whenever you talk about the, uh, the negative, uh, a lot of people are begin to frown. Uh, but uh, I want you to notice the negatives uh, of uh, this uh, truly blessed individual. Dr. John B. Godby, or Dr. Uh, w. B. Godby, isn't that his name, yes? Dr. Godby, uh, he made a statement in one of his books that I have never gotten over. They say he wrote about 200 uh, books and pamphlets. I haven't read them all, but I do enjoy getting his books, And uh, in one of them, he made a statement that I have never had the courage to make. He said, I can have a revival any place I go. I have never been bold enough to say that. He said the way to have a revival, he said, never preach positive to a sinner. He said, climb to the height of Sinai and from that lofty height hurl down the thunderbolts of God's retribution under the center fields, and all is lost. He said, then and only then, tell him of a blood that speaketh better things than Abel." What we're doing, we're cementing people in their error. We're letting them go ahead, doing the same things they're doing, running with the same crowd they're running with, going to the same places, but because they make a mental assent that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that They think that they're Christians uh, and that's why the world uh, is becoming uh, so uh, confused uh, tonight. Now then, let's notice uh, the negatives uh, of this fellow that's truly blessed. First, he walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, he does not derive his spiritual directives uh, from those who have not been transformed uh, by grace divine. Whether they be his kinfolks or fellow church members, it makes no difference. If they are not spiritual... uh, he doesn't take his directives from them. Wouldn't it be wonderful tonight if everybody would realize that? I don't care if they have the same name you've got. I don't care if they are your close kin. If they have not been transformed by grace divine, you cannot afford to follow their example or their direction. Now, not only that, he said, in our, city, uh, our standeth in the way of the sinner." This fellow is truly blessed, his stand is completely different uh, from the center. A lot of times people say, Brother Stafford, well, how are we going to know what's right and what's wrong, uh, what we should do and uh, what we should refrain from? Well, I'll give you uh, a little formula. If you'll remember it, I think it'll help you at this point. Whenever there comes an honest question mark uh, about some activity, some place you're going to attend, some group you're going to go with, just look and see what the sinner is doing in regard to this matter. When you see what direction they're taking, you take the totally different direction and you'll be safe all of the time. This idea that we're going to fraternize with the sinners and get out on his level to win him. No, we're going to get out on his level and stay there. God never indicated that we should do that. And so, this fellow, he does not uh, take the stand of the sinner. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't have time to sit. He has good news to tell. Something has thrilled his soul. He has something that others need. He has a message uh, to share. He doesn't have time to sit uh, in the seat uh, of the scornful. Uh, Now, the second thing I want you to notice. Let's notice... The positives of the truly blessed. Now I finally do get around to positives, but a lot of people think I start out with a negative and I don't uh, deny it. I start out every time when I'm dealing with someone spiritual on a negative because the negatives have got to be settled before you can begin to get them to add faith and the different things uh, after they've had an experience. Now let's notice the positives uh, of the truly blessed. He delights in the law of the Lord. This fellow is so completely surrendered and devoted to the Lord until he delights in walking in harmony with God's will. He's not trying to see how much he can legally get by with, but he just delights to know what God's will regarding the matter is and to walk in harmony with it. He's trying to see how much that he can do of the will of God. It's like an illustration I'm sure you've heard. They said over here in the state of New York, the Adirondack Mountains there, they said some years ago when automobiles were were a novelty, just coming out they were the modified buggies, uh, and uh, of course uh, people that had enough money to buy one many times didn't know how to drive them, uh, and uh, if they had enough money they would hire a chauffeur. And they said a very rich man there living up on one of the sides there in the Adirondack Mountains, uh, he uh, bought uh, uh, one of these newfangled inventions, this horseless buggy, uh, this automobile, and of course uh, he didn't have uh, the wisdom or he didn't trust himself to try to drive the thing, so he wanted to hire a chauffeur. And he sent word down to the little hamlet below uh, that uh, he wanted to hire a chauffeur and three uh, men came up to apply for the job. And he called all three of them into his presence uh, so that they could hear what he was saying. And he said, now I'm sure you noticed as you came up toward my house, uh, there was a place uh, along that winding road where there was a sheer drop, that cliff that seemingly went nearly straight down for hundreds of feet. He looked at the first fellow and he said, how near? Could you bring my car to that cliff and I'd be safe? And of course the fellow was desirous of uh, having the job and so he said to him, he said, Mr., he said, my hands are so sure on the wheel, he said, my eyes are so clear, I could bring your car within eight inches of that cliff and you'd be safe. The rich man said, no, you won't do. He turned to the second one and he asked him the same question. He said, how near? Could you bring my car to that cliff and I'd be safe? Well, he had heard what he had said to the first one and heard what the first one had answered back, thinking that was not near enough. He said, Mr., he said, my hands are so sure on the wheel. My eyes are so clear. I could bring your car within six inches of that cliff and you'd be safe. Rich man said, no, you won't do. Then he turned to the third one. And he addressed him as he had the other two. He said, how near can you bring my car to that cliff? And I'll be The third man looked at the rich man and said, well, mister, I don't know how near I might be able to bring your car to that cliff. But I'll tell you this, if you hire me to be your chauffeur, I'm going to stay just as far away from that cliff as I possibly can. The rich man said, you're the fellow that I want uh, to drive my car. Well, the same principle applies to this fellow that's truly blessed. He's not trying to just see how legally, how far he can go, but he is so thrilled with the law of God, and he has been so yielded to the authority of God's will until it thrills his soul to know what God desires for him to do and to put forth a sincere effort to do that. Now, uh, he, uh, of course, uh, he meditates uh, on his uh, law both day and night. That means that one-eyed monster would have to be thrown out because you couldn't have that in there and do much meditating, could you? Everybody said, oh, me that's got one, and say amen if you don't have one. All right. But anyway, he said that that he meditates uh, day and night. He's so desirous of going to the higher kingdom until he wants to know the law of the higher kingdom so he can walk in harmony with the will of the king. And so he meditates on his law day and night. Now the reason he meditates is because there is a joy in doing the will of God. And here is a place that few people ever reach. There we read in the Bible where it's joy to do judgment. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be lost. And if I've just got to do it, I guess I'll do it just like taking castor oil. Oh, no. you just will forget it. Unless your will becomes yielded, and until it becomes the delight of your soul to be obedient, uh, all of your efforts are just a human effort. Uh, for the heart has never been surrendered unto uh, God. Therefore, there's a joy to the just to do judgment. One of the things that uh, I keep praising God for in the matter of salvation, I don't know how you've thought about it. Uh, But I thank God that God can change you want to. I walk back through Memories Lane and I remember those things that I were engaged in before I was converted. Those places I was going, the crowds I was going with, the filthy habits I was bound with. And I remember when God began to try to deal with me and when I faced the proposition of having to change from those things, I said, oh no. I just could not uh, stand to not be able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do and use the filthy things that I was using. But all the thing that I praise God for even today was when God came and did something under my fifth rib. He changed my want to. Those places that I thought I couldn't stop going became the most obnoxious things and places in the world for my want to had been changed. Now we sing all kind of courses. I wish somebody would print this course in their course book and I don't know why we don't sing it quite often. They say that one time when the holiness movement was in its infancy the Sunday school girls used to sing that song Jesus took the want to out of me long ago pleasures of this world I do not seek? Oh no. And this is my reply as I pass them by. I don't want to. You just can't discourage a fellow with any kind of rules if his will is in harmony with the maker of the rules. The reason a lot of people fuss and argue about rules is because their stubborn nature has never been subdued by the Holy Spirit. And I don't care what position you hold. We've got people that are pastors of large churches. They're just as carnal as they can be. never have had their will surrendered completely to God. That's the reason they ridicule anything that has any thought of standards or rules or anything like that. But if you'll read the word of God, I was reading in Jeremiah this morning and God just repeatedly told Jeremiah to tell them if you'll alter your ways and your doing. And really, that's the only way you're going to prove to people that you've been changed by grace divine. And so... He has joy in doing the will of God. Now the last thing I want you to notice tonight. Let's notice the results of the truly blessed. And the uh, scripture made it very plain. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This word planted here. It suggests uh, that uh, this seed has not just been picked up uh, by the wind. And just kind of thrown in some uh, direction. uh, But the very fact that it was planted. It had an owner. And this owner desired that it would be in a certain place. And, of course, the psalmist went on to tell us where this seed was planted. He said it was planted by the rivers of waters. And that word river is plural there, so that speaks of an abundant supply. I was exposed to a little training back there some years ago, and if my memory doesn't fail me, they told me that the tree, uh, that really its source of life, uh, it's through its roots. The roots have got to find uh, means of water. And then by the process of osmosis, uh, it's brought up through uh, the tree. And then the sunlight filtering down through the leaves of the trees. Uh, by this mean, uh, why the tree, it lives. And if a tree is going to be large, and if it's going to be abundant, uh, and if it's going to flourish, uh, it must have water. And so seemingly the owner of this uh, seed said, I want to have a real uh, uh, tree that will be vigorous and alive. And it will just uh, show forth uh, its strength. So I'm going to place it uh, in a very advantageous place. And he put it down by the rivers of water. When I go by Cairo, Illinois, there where the Mississippi and the Ohio come together, why, why? I just can't pass by there, that I just don't find myself looking down at that very point where the two come together. And when I look at that point, you know what comes to my thinking? The first song. I think about that tree, and I said, now that's where he planted it here seem like is the unlimited supply of water from the mighty Ohio River. That ought to be enough to make any tree just live and flourish from now on. But the owner said, oh, no, I'll not be satisfied just to have that great amount of water from the Ohio. I want even a greater amount from the mighty Mississippi, and I'll put it right here at the point to where its roots can go down and have access to the unlimited supply of the two rivers. Well, of course, the fact that it's two rivers, uh, that speaks to me of two works of grace. Uh, And being a second-blessed-wholeness preacher, uh, I just believe this fellow is truly converted uh, and he's clearly sanctified. I don't think that he stopped with a mental assent uh, or by joining up with anything. I think he prayed clear through and prayed through so clearly until he had the inner witness that God's grace uh, had met the deep hunger of his heart and then he didn't stop, Uh, Until he pled the cleansing blood, and he had the old carnal nature purged out, and so uh, he was placed here in this place of abundant supply. Now, notice what happens. He, in his season he bring forth his fruit. You take one that's in such an advantageous position as this. You know that they're going to produce fruit. In their witnessing season. And in their times of prayer. And in their seeking the loss. They're going to produce fruit. Because they have such an advantageous place of supply. But not only that he said his leaf also shall not wither. And I like this. I've thought so many times, a lot of pastors, bless their heart, my heart goes out in sympathy to them. Instead of them seemingly uh, uh, being the head of an army that's moving forward under the power of the great Holy Spirit, why, it looks like they're kind of the keepers of the hothouse. One day, the sweet peas are not quite as sweet as they should be, you know. Another day, why, they just, the little daisies just can't hardly make it through the entire day and some of them just say, well, prop me on the leaning side and put my feet in the creek so I won't dry up completely. I just seem like I just can't hardly go anymore. Well, now, that is not the way that God wants us to be, and that's not the individual God the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about an individual that's alive and vigorous and has spiritual growth, and he reveals the fact that he's stationed in this advantageous place Therefore, uh, his leaf uh, does not wither. Then when you get over into the superlatives, he said, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. A lot of people said, preacher, that's exactly what I want. I want everything that I touch to turn to gold." No, you've missed everything I've said. This fellow is not trying to get everything that he touches to turn to gold. He just meditates on the law of the Lord because he just delights in that law. He's so anxious to do God's will and have his smile of approval until other things don't seem to be important. He doesn't take his directives from those that are not spiritual, but he is stationed in a place of abundant supply, and so his delight is to make it into the city of God. Now, I'll tell you the real motivation of life, and if every person would think seriously about this, It would save you of some many heartaches and it would make your life to be far more effective. Did you ever really seriously consider what the Apostle Paul said to those uh, Corinthians there in the 10th chapter and in verse 31 of his first epistle to the Corinthians? Listen, he said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That'll answer every one of your spiritual questions. If you're sincere, if you really want to make it to heaven, I can tell you how you can make it and not have to always be wrestling with question marks. If everything you're doing, if you can honestly get the witness of your heart, I'm doing this for the glory of the Lord, you'll be safe to do it. But if you can't get that witness, then you better check up and say, now why am I? i actually doing what I am doing. And so uh, the promise was they were going to prosper. Their chief desire is to make it to heaven. Thank God the truly blessed uh, are going to make it uh, to the streets uh, of that city. Now uh, they're going to die with divine companionship. I'm not going to try to tell you because God forgives you of your sins and the Holy Spirit comes in and cleanses the old carnal nature away. I'm not going to tell you that that means you won't have to meet the appointment of death. It's appointed unto all men once to die. And after that, the judgment. But I can tell you this much. uh, You won't have to die alone. You can die with divine uh, companionship. I was reading something that just really impressed me very forcibly uh, And uh, I'm uh, sure that some of you uh, read it also. But I was reading about a little Scotch family. Of course, they've never had the standard of living that you and I enjoy and just about take for granted here in the United States. They've always lived on a kind of an austere diet. uh, And we've had so many uh, little uh, humorous things about the Scotchman and how he's supposed to be tight, you know. They said that It was the normal thing of the average Scotch family here some years, say, 100 years ago or 75 to 100 years ago. They said that normally a boy in the family would not get but just maybe two or three years of accredited education, opportunity to go to a school. They said by the time that he was 12 years of age, Normal thing he would be hired Out as an apprentice To some uh, tradesman or Some uh, person that Owned a business and uh, He'd get a very meager salary But he would learn the business And the meager Salary that he earned would be given To the father to help Support uh, the family They said this little Scotch uh, Family had a boy That was soon approaching the age of Twelve And the father had already made arrangement in the little hamlet about three miles away with one of the uh, store owners there that the boy would be hired out and uh, would work in his store and would learn the business. And for this he would get 50 cents a day. Well, the boy was not uh, fearful of the fact that he would have to work from the break of day until the curtains of night were closed. And he really wasn't too disturbed over the fact he'd have to go the three miles from his home to the store before he could begin his work. And then when the work was over, he'd have to make the three miles back home. But the thing that gave him apprehension, not very far from his house as he was heading toward the little hamlet, there was a deep ravine. Now, when the sun was shining, why, he could just run down and he had gone so often he knew just how the path turned. But when the shades of night were drawn too, the boughs of those trees suddenly became angry arms. Some mighty monster looked like was reaching out, want to enfold a little frightened boy. And the thought of having to come down through that ravine after night just made his heart beat fast. And finally came the day when he was to go in the first time, and so he made his way in. He worked all day, and then when finally he was allowed to leave, he hurried as swiftly as he could out toward his home. And then he came near the ravine. Sure enough, there were the boughs of those trees that looked like angry arms reaching out to take a little frightened boy. His heart was beating fast. He began to think it might be possible If I'd close my eyes I wouldn't have to see those horrible looking things And maybe I could remember to make the right turn I wouldn't bump into a tree And he was about to make his dash When he heard the tread of the feet of someone And he looked And out, out of the ravine Came his father And his father said son he said, "I' got to think it. Maybe you'd be a little apprehensive coming down through the ravine by yourself. And I just thought I'd come over and walk home with you." When I read that, something in my side just began to jump up and down nearly. I said, "Thank God, the child of God may reach that point when loved ones are gone." That And when those that once he called friends are no more there, uh, there'll come a time when either mother has to stand back. uh, The arm of flesh cannot extend any further. And I'm glad there is one that is the conqueror of death. uh, And he was promised uh, for every child of God. When we come to that moment, uh, we won't have to go through death alone. Uh, He will go with us. We'll have divine uh, companionship. Uh, He'll take us uh, safely through. But not only will they die with divine companionship, but the truly blessed, uh, they're going to come into the presence of the one that that they delighted to do his will. Now, wife and I, we had five children, and uh, those children were kind of peculiar, and some people blamed one of us uh, for them being that peculiar, and I'm not going to tell you which one. But anyway, uh, those 12 years that I was a loner on the old smoke filled bus and train, and when I could afford it, the plane, uh, why, uh, I, I wrote my wife every day and she wrote me every day. We never missed a day. I never got too busy, never stormed too hard, never had the unexpected to happen that I missed. Just write little notes six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven pages. One time she wrote me 21 pages, you know. I had five children at home. If one of them sneezed, I wanted to know who said Kasuntai. And so, well, we just write her little notes along, you know. Well, those children, they had the idea that those letters was community property. And they'd hit the steps. Mama, where's Daddy's letter? And they felt like they had a right to read. Well, I'm probably the most intelligent father they've ever had. And so it dawned on me There's no need for me to spend the money for another stamp to write them. If they're going to read that letter, I'll just put in that letter what I want them to do. So if I wanted Bob to do something, I'd say, tell Bob to do so-and-so. If I wanted Jim to do something, I'd say, tell Jim to do so-and-so. If I wanted David to do something, tell David to do so-and-so. If I wanted Barbara to do something, tell Barbara. If I wanted Patricia, tell Patricia. Well, they would get that letter and they'd read what their father wanted them to do. And if they went out and made a decent effort, when I arrived home, whether it may be at midnight, 2 a.m. in the morning, it made no difference. When I staggered off of that bus or train or plane, and normally I was the first one off with a suitcase under both arms, why, there would be the little woman and the five youngins, you know, and uh, when they'd see me, why uh, they'd let out a war whoop, uh, and they'd start charging toward me. And you know how they'd come toward me every time with that side hand greeting. They'd flop their hands over just like that every time. What did you bring me? For you see, they had read in that letter where their God has written, "I uh, had the Holy Spirit to prompt men to write a letter," and, and this letter here it contains uh, God's will and what he desires for us to do, and what he desires for us to refrain from doing. And if you and I will have our heart in the condition until we will to do the will of the Father, uh, and if we'll make a sincere effort, uh, he's a coming. And when Jesus comes, did you know how you can meet him? Flop your hand over. He'll not disappoint you. You can meet him with that side hand greeting, uh, what did you bring me? For I read a verse here that kind of helps me uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, He said, and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man uh, according as his work shall be. If you were obedient and if you did my will and if you walked in harmony with my light, uh, why he said just flop your hand over I'll have plenty to fill it up and run it over and I won't impoverish anyone else. Uh, I have a to uh, supply. So they're going to come into the presence of the one uh, that they delighted to do his will. But not only that, they're going to live with him uh, eternally. I'll never forget uh, one day as I was reading the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, I actually uh, read beyond the 17th verse. Now I don't mean to indicate that I never did read the full chapter. I've read it over and over and over. But you can read it 300 times and never see it. But one day, I saw the 24th verse, and I have never been the same since that verse became alive. And really, it's couched in legal terms. You could go up here to any courthouse and could use that 24th verse, and it would pass the test. For, you notice Jesus there in his high priestly prayer, he's praying, he said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Well, now, uh, he said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. So if you and I can determine where he was going, we can know where he wants us to go. And if you'll get over there into the first chapter of the Acts, you'll find that uh, uh, two men in white apparel are, are speaking to these disciples that are watching Jesus as he goes up into heaven. And they said, ye men of Galilee, why why stand ye gazing up into heaven? For the same Jesus that is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go away. Now, the Bible makes it plain that he went to heaven. Now, listen to what he said. He said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. I used to have such a dwarf conception of heaven uh, and it seemed like every songwriter, as much as we revere these songs, uh, they have that same dwarf conception. I thought if I would do the right and shun the wrong, uh, when I came to the end of life's little day, uh, I would go across the divide of worlds and come into the presence of the Lord and see uh, his indescribable uh, uh, glory for just a moment and then wander off across the hills of glory. But that wasn't what Christ was saying at all. He said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. I want them to be where I am and I want them to be with me. I want to be in their presence. I don't know what that does to you, but I tell you, that does uh, something to me, yes. We're not going to wander off over the hills of glory as glorious as heaven may be. But we're going to be in the presence of the one that loved us enough until he died in our stead. We're going to drink in his beauty, become intoxicated with his glory and shout his praises while the cycles roll on and on and on. But he didn't stop there. He said, Father, I will that they not only be with me, but I want them to behold my glory. And I got to thinking about that. Uh, He seemingly said, now, Father, you know, these disciples uh, that's here in this prayer, the high priestly prayer, they never have seen me when I was dressed up. You know, when I left heaven's glory to come to earth uh, to pay the debt uh, of poor lost mankind. I laid aside my robes of splendor. I took upon myself no reputation. I became the poorest of the poor. I allowed the birds to have their nest, and I had the fox to have his hole. But uh, even though I spoke it all into existence, I don't even have a place down here to pillar my head. But he said, I want him to come home with me. And I want them to see me when I get all dressed up in my robes of splendor and power and beauty. When they'll emanate from my countenance the hues of my holiness. I want them to see me in all of that indescribable beauty until they'll become so drunk uh, with my glory. Until out of their inner being, they'll flow a river of praise that will make the heavens ring. I just want the shouts uh, to be continually. I don't know about you, but I can say along with the songwriter, I want to see him. Look up upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Tears all past, Home at last. Heaven to rejoice. You say, well, Brother Stafford, how long will it last? Well, if you can tell me when God will get old and senile, I can tell you when it's coming to a close. But they told me that he hadn't shown anywhere thus far. And it looks like. uh, That he'll just keep on uh, keeping on. uh, And if you want to get in on that. uh, The way to do it. uh, Is to qualify. To be one of the truly blessed. You're going to have to have those negatives. Be turned around by grace divine. Quit your meanness. Then you're going to have to add to that. The graces of God. Have your positives. And above all. uh, You want to be in that position to where you can hear him say well done at the end of the way. And I've got good news for every one of you on this Saturday night. And as far as I'm concerned, some of the best people in this area, you came to service tonight. God has an experience that will fit you just like a glove. And you can be one of God's truly blessed. You don't have to just keep struggling and wandering and wrestling with question marks. Uh, You can pray clear through, and you can pray through clearly until God can witness in your inner being uh, that your heart has been surrendered and that you are walking uh, in harmony with His will. And I trust that none of you will be satisfied to live with anything less than that consciousness that you are one of those uh, that are truly blessed uh, by the grace of God. Shall we stand? I
0: don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of interchurch holiness convention featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA.